Hey guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 195. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, once again, we do have a question and answer episode coming up for you. So Jack, are you ready for this first question? Sure, I'm far away. <laughs> well, far away. It is a quite a fully loaded question. You could say that I've got a camera with not just one SD card, but two fully backed up. We've got like 24 gigabytes on each. We are ready to rock and roll and take some progress photos. But in all seriousness, because you know, we're always serious over on this end of the mic. This question asks, do clients ever send you progress photos and you have to tell them that there's been no changes? Yeah, I think this is the first time we've ever answered this sort of question on the podcast, mm. which is uh, very commendable to the question asker because that doesn't ha happen very often nowadays. <laughs> I think this question can also be read as on a scale of one to 10, how honest are you as a coach? Mm, for sure. Yeah, and I think it, we wouldn't be doing our jobs properly if we, if we weren't honest with our clients. So I think it's more so in terms of the delivery of how you're telling someone whether there are changes or not. You don't want to just be completely, I mean, depends on your relationship with the client. Like some clients might prefer you just to be completely blunt and say, sorry, there aren't any discernible changes here. Others might, of course, prefer a softer approach. <laughs> these pictures, these are atrocious. <laughs> And I think what we're going to do is also touch on our thoughts on progress photos in general, because I think a lot of people, when they take progress photos, they, if they don't see progress or changes, then they get quite disheartened when I take, cause I take photos every week. Sometimes I take photos multiple times each week and depending on how I take them and what the lighting is like, the location, it can sometimes seem like I'm gaining or losing kilos of muscle or gaining or losing percentages of body fat, depending on how I'm taking it and, and all those other variables, especially like, for example, the lighting at rigs, it's very, very favorable lighting. Mm. It's excellent. And taking lighting at home without a pump, it's very, hence I, you don't really see many photos of, of me at home mm. because the lighting just isn't really that great, but I'm sure I'll probably upload some photos and prep in that lighting. But anyway, I'm talking about myself, but Yes, the short answer is sure. We do we do say to some clients uh, that they haven't made any progress, and I think it does certainly take a practiced eye. But we can also examine it from from two sides of the coin as well. Like one is someone trying to lose body fat. Like, are we noticing changes in body fat in these photos, or vice versa? Are we are we noticing changes in muscularity, um, or maybe we may even notice changes in body fat like yes you are changing but you are just gaining body fat which i mean unless you're post-show in, in a recovery phase that's not ideal for the average client mm, yeah and uh not exactly best on your coaching resume right no <laughs> i help clients achieve unfavorable body compositions <laughs> mm. hire me <laughs> that's right <laughs> No, but I, I think it obviously is really important to be fully honest and transparent with your clients if you want to uphold a good reputation and ultimately have respect from your clients. Because remember, people aren't hiring you to blow smoke up their butt. Ultimately, they are hiring you because they want more of an objective eye. And 
they're sick of listening to their own BS. <laughs> so that's why they want you to be like, hey, am I actually getting results here? And if someone's not necessarily being very adherent or disciplined or really applying themselves to their plan and there's physical proof of that in photos, when you put two photos side by side, and I know you and I, our photoshopping skills aren't all that great, so we're definitely not photoshopping our client's own progress photos. I definitely have the nerve to put photos side by side and use that as evidence to say, hey, and of course, like you alluded to Jack, the delivery is really important. It's not what's going on here. <laughs> two weeks wasted, get out. <laughs> well, you put some photos side by side and then during your check-ins, you can obviously deliver that to the client depending on the tone. And you can explain to them, hey, if we actually put all of our data together and we make it apparent that we're trying to be in a weight loss phase right now. We're aiming to lose 0.5% of your body weight on average. If we actually look at these past two or three weeks, each week you've actually weighed in the same on average. And then if we compare these two progress photos side by side at these two different time points, that also backs that up. But hey, it's not the case of you have regressed or that you've actually gone backward. It's simply just the case of we've hit a plateau these past few weeks and we haven't actually made any progress. And that can then be, you know, a good kick in the right direction to start making change because nothing's going to change unless something changes. So that just kind of prompts you as the coach to really be honest with your client and say, hey, if we actually want to be headed in the right direction, you want to make your actions match your words, you want to be achieving your goals, then it's either we need to actually follow the plan that's in place and rein it in a little bit in terms of hitting all your training and nutritional targets, or it's the case of actually you've been doing everything that the plan says, but it's still the case of we've hit a bit of a plateau that then obviously prompts you to say, well, the plan needs to change. Yeah. Assuming that they've been completely compliant with the plan that's been laid out. I think the part that I can sometimes find more Difficult is, is not necessarily weight loss phases because progress does show relatively quickly in a weight loss phase, like even a couple kilos down um, and people will start noticing changes in progress photos and, and definitely feeling changes. But I think on the, on the other way up, like especially people who maybe come to coaching with the expectation that muscle gain is very fast and rapid, um, they'll kind of have a stark realization of how slow muscle gain can be and and like especially if they're gaining body fat along with muscle which is only normal then the kind of they're putting eight week progress photos side by side and sort of um, asking where the progress is where that might be slightly discernible but probably not going to be overly distinguishable especially for people who already have a good foundation of muscularity like it's going to be even slower for them and and sometimes like Again, for I think for me and Tierra, like often we're going to see the most improvements when we come back down. Mm. And even then, like it's not until we come back down and then fill back up that we see see the stark improvements mm -hmm. um, for certain areas. Like obviously we're bigger people at the end of this improvement season. We can quite obviously see that we've improved, but other minute details we might not. Yeah, that's a good point. I think 
timing and frequency of progress photos and also progress photo comparison matters depending on the phase that you're in. If you are in an improvement season, you're probably not gonna be taking progress photos every single weekend and then comparing those and be like, mm, how did this last week of the mesocycle go? <laughs> Do I look any different? You're probably gonna be looking pretty same, same. Some weeks you might even look at your pictures, you're like, what in the heck? I looked better last week, <laughs> mm. right? That's another thing. I think that photos can really be perceived depending on our mood as well. If we're really happy, we'll look at a picture, we'll be like, I like it. If we're not feeling too great, we'll look at a photo, we'll be like, oh, I, I just, I really never want to see that picture again. <laughs> the more you look at photos, often the worse they look. Oh, 100%. Your eyes get so skewed. I know that when I'm looking through my progress photos, I'm spending a bit too long on it. I will call myself out and I'll be like, Jack, can you just take my phone away for a moment? Or can you just decide for me which one looks better? And you're like, Tiara, these photos are literally identical, <laughs> mm. but pick the first one. And I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> But frequency matters. So if you're in a weight loss phase, particularly if you're in a comp prep, because you're losing body weight and your body weight's changing at a much higher percentage of your total body weight per week, you know, you're trying to lose anywhere between 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per week, you can expect to see more dramatic changes week to week. Whereas when you're in the improvement season, you're looking to actually gain body weight anywhere between 0.5 to 1% of your body weight per month. So for me, that makes a heck of a lot more sense that in the improvement season, take progress photos probably more like on a fortnightly basis for your coach, and then they can make those comparisons for you. Whereas when you're in a comp prep, taking them more on a weekly basis, I think is a heck of a lot more appropriate. Are you interested in optimizing your nutrition, training, or physique? If so, head on over to our website and explore our coaching services. We have options for everyone, regardless of whether or not you want to compete. Tap the link in the show notes below or head on over to our website, thebodybuildingdietitians.com to inquire now. Yeah, somewhat relating to that as well is that is the topic of are you posing relaxed or are you posing... Mm in muscularity poses like if you're a female maybe you'll do some bikini poses or depending on what category you're in even if you don't compete like i think it's worthwhile to flex because if you're trying to determine how much muscle you have or how much your muscle muscle mass has changed then if you're just standing <laughs> relaxed in front of the camera like you're you're not doing yourself any favors and legit think of it this way guys there's a reason why bodybuilders don't just walk onto the stage and just stand there chilling with their mm -hmm. just totally relaxed arms down by the sides you know or they say quarter turn to the right you turn over your legs are just straight you put your arms out straight in front of you those mm -hmm. little things I, that's a great point to learn how to pose. And it can be so motivating as well for clients in those early stages to, because they actually see that, hey, all of this time and effort that I'm investing into this process, it is paying off. I'm really starting to see my work. Just simply manipulating someone's body position can literally make them look night and day different. Yeah, which is maybe good and bad. Like if you're doing that regularly, then it does blur the lines. Like if they maybe continually getting good at posing for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, then yeah. I mean, that's good for their posing, but it also means it's not entirely painting a clear picture, but uh, that's, that's kind of beside the point. But <laughs> I, I can say I've probably never run into that issue where like, it's the case of every two weeks, someone's posing so dramatically different that they look like percentages different in terms of body fat or muscle gain. 
Yeah, maybe. Someone just like is a really slow learner to learn how to flex their biceps. Mm. <laughs> but I think those are some of the main points, like, and potentially, or of course, how you take the progress photos as well. Mm. So is it consistent lighting? Is your full body in the frame? That's something that we have to remind people of all the time. They'll, their eyes will be cut off or their ankles, they'll be footless or... <laughs> hey, we don't have a foot fetish, but show me your feet. Yeah. <laughs> you can wear socks if you want. <laughs> hey, I'm all for it. Make them colorful. But yeah, put space below and above your head to the sides. Also, the height of the camera really matters. Don't take photos from like super high up. So it looks like you've got these little stick legs, this big bubble head and like this, these big broad shoulders. Also, don't take photos super duper low either. I think a pretty perfect height for taking pictures is about belly button height. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, because if you are a competitor, it will mean that, I mean, the judges naturally slightly look up at you. Mm. So it will be replicating that somewhat. Yeah. And, you know, some people will say, oh, well, the judges are below you. Yeah, they're not sitting on the floor. <laughs> like, you don't have to put your camera literally on the ground. It can be ever so slightly below, but I still think kind of midline of your body is a pretty good height to set things at. And try to make it somewhat of a blank background. Don't have a lot of different things going on. Really, you should be the main focus of this picture. Try to make it as representative as possible and replicable as possible. Try to even wear the exact same outfit almost in every single photo. And like you said, lighting really matters. Mm. Yeah, you should be able to make comparisons side by side and basically not notice many differences from a setup perspective. So mm. imagine if every kind of second time you take them, like you've cropped a different area of your body or you're either standing way too far back or too far forward or the lighting's different. So that's why sometimes, although posing rooms aren't always the best way of assessing progress because sometimes because of the lighting, like often posing rooms can be the best because they're at least replicable and you don't get influenced by the lighting too much. Whereas at home, you got to be on point with the lighting. Mm. But then again, often the front on lighting at home is, is sometimes the best in, in bodybuilding because you can really discern how someone's truly looking with that sort of front on natural lighting. Yeah, it's so honest. Mm. You know, when you're taking photos in really anabolic lighting, great for the gram, not always great for your coach or yourself in terms of actually assessing, are you stage ready yet? Right? Because when you've got gnarly down lighting, you've got all these sort of shadows, it can really look like you've got a hell of a lot more details or you're a hell of a lot more conditioned than you actually are. Uh, so yeah, I think honest lighting is really important or, you know, when you're approaching that sort of stage time, be taking pictures in different types of lighting so that you can really assess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think how to actually take the photos too is important in terms of don't be taking selfies. I would definitely recommend that people take photos on self timer and it's important to use the back camera because one, the back camera is the best quality. And then also the back camera isn't going to mirror your images because I've run into this issue with so many of my girls. And luckily enough, I pay close attention to how they actually hit poses compared to then when they might send me some progress photos. For example, you might have an IFBB bikini competitor and you know that she poses facing the right, but then she sends you her progress photos and it's like, wait a second, why is your body facing the left? 
<laughs> and like these photos are mirrored. That's really important to pick up on because if you're then trying to give feedback and if you're like, you know, let's say that someone has a mirrored image, but you're trying to refer to how they need to move a certain hand or a certain leg or pop into a certain glute, whatever it may be, you need to make sure that you're actually referencing the right limb. Otherwise things can get very, very confusing. So make sure to take your photos on the back camera and you should be confident enough and skilled enough as a poser that you don't need to pose with a reflection. Like prep brain aside, okay, I think that everyone can set up a phone so that they know that they are fully in frame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll just put a mirror behind the phone. Yeah. That's simple too. Yeah. Uh, but to take them really easily as well, I used to recommend that people would film themselves on a video with the back camera, do their poses and then take some screenshots from the video, uh, but an even better way to do it. And no, I wouldn't necessarily recommend doing self timer on your phone. And you've got to do that thing where you run back and forth and try to make it within like three to five or 10 seconds or something. Been there, done that. The photos always just end up just a mess. <laughs> Download this app on iPhones. It's probably also available on Android and it's totally free, but it's called Lens Buddy. So that's L-E-N-S-B-U-D-D-Y. Yeah, Lens Buddy. <laughs> but it's free and what it does is that you just open up the app and then you can select how often do you want it to take a picture every second, two seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds, go for your life. But then you just press go and it connects to your camera. And then it just takes a whole bunch of pictures for you. And then it saves them to a gallery. And then you can just go into that gallery on the app and you can just select all, download them all, and then favorite your favorites. Or you can just download the ones that you want straight from that gallery. But it saves so much time, great quality photos, not gonna mirror your images, totally free, game changer for anyone taking progress photos. So I would recommend downloading that Lens Buddy app. Yeah, I've been using it for well over a year now. Same. I used to get you to take my progress photos, but I don't think you've <laughs> taken any of me for for over a year. No, and likewise, because no offense, but <laughs> Jack, you're not in the right position. Angle mm. it this way, angle it this way. Yeah, and now I don't have to bother you either. Yeah, I mean, I would always love taking your photos though. Oh yeah, yeah like, <laughs> pop that glute. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so pedantic. I'm definitely one of those people who I'm just like, I will just happily do it myself because I really don't want to just be a massive disruption to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm all over that lens buddy. I probably have an embarrassingly large amount of photos off lens buddy, mm. <laughs> probably like in the tens of thousands. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But Hey, you know, do what you got to do to get the shot. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. There you go. <laughs> all right. Moving on to this next question. Yep. Let's do it. All right. This one says, do you have any tips to help with food focus post-show and during the recovery and reverse diet, please? So there's just so many ways we can go about this. Like, I think the, the more I talk about the reverse diet, like the, I think similar to what you wrote in our most recent TBD post, like you got to, to some extent, treat it a little bit like comp prep mm. and just get through it. Because it is going to be difficult. There's going to be four to six weeks there where you do need to remain still relatively on point, like still have much more increased flexibility, but still remain on point so you don't completely blow out and allow some metabolic adaptation to occur, allow your calories to come back up, allow yourself to gain some weight. And 
we can break this up into psychological and physiological food focus or appetite and hunger. So the psychological side of things will be the prolonged restriction that you've had, you having ended your goals, the, the kind of the floodgates opening in terms of, okay, I have all these different things that I can eat now, uh, social occasions, friends and family encouraging you to eat more, all those are more psychological. And therefore your food focus is gonna probably jump up if it wasn't already high in prep, which for most people it would be. So on one side, you've got that. And on, on the other side, you've still got those physiological demands of hunger, which is, isn't really going to slow down anytime soon for those first four to six weeks or so or longer, because your leptin and ghrelin, your hunger hormones are a little bit out of whack and will be continue to do so. And when you marry those things together, like really the, the main thing that is going to help is time. And then aside from time is also just being in the right mindset. And we can certainly, obviously we can't make time speed up for you, but we can touch on some, some mindset things that might help. Mm, yeah. I think that's such an important message to just hit home is that it is a process and it does take time. I was actually having this discussion with one of my competitors this past week during her check-in. She's a first timer. She's recently competed and right now she is going through her recovery diet phase and she is really expressing that hunger it's really high she's almost just she can't necessarily feel satiated after meals even though you could look at her macros and on paper it's like well this is still a good amount of food it's all relative and it ultimately comes down to a feeling but i was trying to reassure her that think back to the very beginning of prep where we did quite a dramatic calorie drop from your improvement season calories down to your prep calories Immediately, did you feel ravenously hungry, insanely food focused? And the answer was no, right? It's a process. At the very beginning of a dieting phase, we often refer to it as a honeymoon phase, right? Where it's kind of like dieting can just happen almost seamlessly and in the background and you don't feel those sort of negative consequences that come with dieting in terms of the high levels of food focus, the insatiable hunger, the low levels of energy, compromised sleep, you know, weird moods, you name it. It's a process, right? But gradually those things do start to creep in as you continue to diet. So you have to think of it as well in the recovery phase, it's a process, okay? As food continues to creep up, it's not just gonna be at the click of a finger, right? You're just going to feel, oh, I feel completely back to normal again, just like I did at the peak of my improvement season. I'm hungry when it's meal time, hardly even thinking about food, couldn't really care less, meh, right? Like, it, it's a process. So over time, as the days and the weeks go on, gradually your hunger hormones will continue to normalize and you will get back to that position, but you just have to hold out for it. Mm. Yeah, I think an example, I'm sure he won't uh, mind me sharing, although I won't mention who specifically I'm talking about, is one of my clients from this season who has ended the season on more food than in the peak of his off season. Mm which doesn't happen to everyone, but just because of the way he was able to, or we were able to slowly reverse him out because he achieved really good conditioning before the season ended, we were able to creep things up and, and now he's he's in a slight surplus, but I think maybe two, 300 calories higher than what we were able to do in, in his peak gaining phase. And obviously we've been checking in and, and he's been saying, okay, my, my hunger is, is still there, of course, like I'm still feeling the effects of hunger despite him eating the most food he ever has. So 
and I know that you just got to trust that process and eventually as body fat does come up because body fat is one of the major signals to the body to increase leptin and leptin is is the appetite suppressant hormone so that's why body fat gain is not just going to help with your hormones but it's also i mean leptin is a hormone so it is going to (laughs) assist with leptin too Mm -hmm. yeah it's really it's not a food thing sure food's obviously involved but it really is more so a body composition thing and a mindset thing Mm. right but it's important to stay headstrong and it's important that the moment you step off stage you don't have some sort of identity crisis where you've gone from this highly regimented, disciplined, adherent, just relentless person who was just getting after this enormous goal that you achieved once you stepped on stage. And then it's the case that you're not that person anymore. No, that's not the case at all. And you have to think about all of the habits and behaviors and disciplines that served you so well in prep to achieve that goal. And even though your goals are different now, moving into your recovery diet and your improvement season, still actually portraying a lot of those habits and behaviors can really, really serve you. Mm. Yeah, I agree. That was going to be my next point is just ensuring that you still have a routine in place uh, because often a lot of people who undertake their first season of competing, they wouldn't necessarily have lived like a bodybuilder before that. And sure, that's not warranted year round, but if you want to make the best progress, then you will live like a bodybuilder year round within reason. Obviously your off season doesn't have to look exactly like your prep, but by maintaining the productive habits that you've built in prep and kind of leaving aside the unproductive ones, like waking up at 3 a.m., for example, when you don't want to, I think you'll also find it easier moving into the off season. You don't want to turn everything upside down, of course. So again, examining what allowed you to stay on routine in prep might've been consistent meal times, consistent training times, consistent food choices, and trying to carry that across into the off season is probably going to assist you as well within within reason. Like obviously you don't have to have the same sort of rigidity that you did have in prep. Yeah, 100%. The habits and the behaviors that really helped you to minimize your food focus in prep when arguably food focus should have been even more so heightened from a body composition standpoint at least because you were at your lowest levels of body fat and hunger hormones would have been all over the place. You have to fall back on those. So Mm. it's the case of once you step off stage or enter into the recovery phase, no, it doesn't have to be as military-like, but at the same time, it shouldn't go from very regimented to absolutely no structure at all. I think Mm. that everyone needs to find their own unique balance there in terms of, you know, how do they want to go about their nutrition? Yeah, and I think that's also where competitors who... For example, post-show, they might say to us, oh, I just want more of the same thing. Mm. Like those people usually do succeed quite well. Uh, Whereas people who have, and not necessarily, it's not like they're saying the wrong thing or thinking the wrong thing. They might just not know better, but kind of persuading themselves to be adherent throughout prep because afterwards they they tell themselves, oh, because I'll just be able, like food will be my reward post-prep. Like I'm doing this. I'm going to stay adherent now so that I can make it to the end and, and have whatever I want. Or I'm going to have all these different foods afterwards. I've been saving this and that. I've made a list of all the restaurants. And if you're convincing yourself that that's your reward afterwards, then 
you're setting yourself up for mm. a difficult time. Yeah, I think you really need to have a conversation with yourself there and maybe reassess your why because competing should be for far more than just who can resist the most highly palatable, tempting foods the longest. <laughs> That's mm. uh, we, we compete for reasons far more important than just that. Yeah, and <laughs> I think it will be interesting when we go through this again next year because it is a little bit easier for us to say that stuff right now mm. um, since we haven't competed since 2021. But granted, we have competed multiple times each, so we know how it feels. But it's just been a few years since we known exactly how it's felt. And I, I remember getting to the end of my last season and I wouldn't say that because I, I went pretty much back to my usual foods straight away. Like I had one day where I got it out of my system and... After that, I just went back to normal food choices. <laughs> Whereas you, you went back to normal food choices, yeah, pretty much immediately. Like you sort of slightly partook in, in my day of um, eating. Yeah, we had a, a big, a big rest day roast that yeah. evening. That was that was nice for sure. With some chocolate. Yeah, with some chocolate at the end of Toblerone. <laughs> but there were a lot of turkey legs and a lot of potatoes. <laughs> No, but the thing is, you and I, we just, we live and breathe this. This is what we do. We do it mm. for all the right reasons. It's genuinely what we, what we love. Ah, oh, man, next year, post-show, I'm not even thinking about food. You know, someone could ask me, where are you going to go eat post-show? And I'm like, I'm not thinking about a flipping restaurant. I'm thinking about the mm. shows, man. And yeah, pups. but I, I don't think people should also, this is where I slightly disagree with you. Like, there's also nothing wrong with to an extent looking forward to it and, mm. and and slightly planning in advance like you someone might just because someone says yeah i've been looking forward i'm going to go to cheesecake factory after like that's fine yeah but the thing is is that food should be a highlight of your life you know and it should be an addition to your life but it shouldn't be the ultimate highlight you can look forward to food post-show but it shouldn't be the only thing that you look forward to and it shouldn't be at the top of the list I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And like we, we gave an analogy in one of our posts about people kind of booking their post-show meal before the show <laughs> itself and stuff like that. Or like they maybe book their accommodation in a different city and straight away they look up, okay, mm. where are the restaurants nearby as opposed to how long it takes to get to the gym mm -hmm. and, and where's the venue in, in association to where yeah. I'm living. So, yeah. And of course, everyone in their own sense is going to have their own unique challenges. But I think as a coach, right, you and I both have that responsibility of really scoping out a client prior to them even beginning a prep. So we really understand and can support their why. And it is far more than they're just trying to resist the temptations of food for six months. So then post show, they can just overly indulge. <laughs> they're actually engaging in bodybuilding for much better reasons than just that. But we're really confident that they are going to be able to handle themselves and maintain a good relationship with food and their body and training and the sport throughout prep and they're going to be able to have a good solid recovery phase. So I think that's really important to scope those sort of things out because people talk about how post-show is harder than the prep itself. And man, I'm just gonna have to disagree with that. I'm not dismissing the fact that post-show can be very difficult, but- I would, Yeah, I would say that your appetite and food focus could be higher than prep, but that doesn't mean it's more difficult overall. No. The lethargy and the low energy and low EA of, of prep, I think, is, in my opinion, far harder than being 
hungry and food focused. A hundred percent, right? Like, and it's difficult. There's no doubt about that. Navigating the post-show period, it can be really, really tough, but you don't necessarily have to compare the toughness of post-show to the toughness of a comp prep, because I'd argue if you ticked every single box and you really just dominated your comp prep, you've done the tough stuff, man. You know, you've basically relied off your body's own energy stores for over half a year. Well, <laughs> you, not solely. <laughs> no, you know, sprinkle some food in there, a protein shake or two. <laughs> but you know what I'm trying to get at? You've been so highly disciplined and adherent and just relentless for so many months on end. You have done so many things that at that time, you your body did not feel like doing, but you pushed through. You did that for months. Like you, you went through a lot in prep. You did very high amounts of output with probably fairly low levels of intake. You know, you fought for some really heavy weights in the gym and tried to hold on to numbers, even though you'd probably lost 10 kilos off your frame. Like you put up with all of those anxiety provoking training sessions. You put up with all the nights of insomnia, like, geez, you've been through a lot and prep is tough, but it is hella rewarding. Post-show, tough too, not as tough as prep. Not as tough as prep. Mm. Yeah, the energy comes back very quickly. And yeah. the sleep improves very quickly. And you just have to put it in perspective, like the way that you can actually describe it to clients. So for example, if someone's entering into the post-show period and we're establishing their nutritional targets, basically what they were on at the very end of their comp prep on either like their high carb days, refeed days, diet breaks, carb ups for their show. I'm like, you know how you're always describing to me how good you feel after a high carb day or two? Well, you can look forward to this every day of the week, plus a little bit more. Plus, you don't have to be on the Stairmaster four or five times per week. And hey, that first week we're doing a deload, and hey, you've got a new training program to look forward to as well. And all of these little things. So try to remind people of that in the competition prep itself to really just get that into the back of their head to be like, I can do this. Give them that sort of self-confidence that they can navigate the mm. recovery phase. Yep. Yeah, and when you break it down, like how much of it is really about food? Like there's there's more to it than just food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. How to navigate post-show. Yeah, I think we covered most of that. Okay, there we go. Well, one last thing that we want to end on today, Jack, is what's something we want to improve this week? Mm, that's a good question. I, yeah, it's kind of nearing the end of the year where things are a little bit quieter in terms of the shows. And I think I just want to continue the momentum that we've built in past months of this year in terms of just uh, finishing this year on a good note with work and also our own training and nutrition as well. Mm-hmm. Well, what would possibly get in the way of that? Please do say more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, sure, there's lots of things that could, but hopefully none of those things happen, <laughs> like getting injured or or getting sick. Mm. So I'm just uh, throwing it out there that hopefully everything stays on track. Yeah, no, it has been nice to have a weekend. You know, basically for the past two months, we've had shows on every single weekend, usually Saturdays and Sundays, flying to shows, attending shows here, clients competing at shows in other states, even in other countries. There's been a lot on. This has been the first weekend where now it's the 5th of November. We've been going hard ever since the very beginning of September, where you and I have had two days where it's like, 
wow, it's raining outside. We can sit on the couch. We can watch the Olympia. How good. Yeah, it's been nice. <laughs> we can podcast. What do you want to improve on there? Whew, okay. Well, I'm going to keep it relevant to the phase that I'm in. I would like to keep improving my body composition this week. I'm nine weeks into prep, just like that. I've already been in a calorie deficit for nine weeks, and this could potentially be my last week or leading up to my last week, just depending on how Joey wants to call it. But, you know, I've only got a few hundred grams left to go until I've hit my body weight mark. At the beginning of this prep, I started off at 69.1 kilos. Goal is to get down to 63 kilos. This whole time I've been around 500 grams ahead of schedule each week, which is really good, but currently weighing in at 63.7. So 5.4 kilos down, 700 grams to go until we hit our first benchmark before entering into a bit of a prolonged diet break phase for the rest of 2023 and then re-kickstarting prep in 2024. Dates have officially been announced for IFBB season A, 21st of April. It's a Sunday. Bring it on. That'll be the first IFBB Queensland show, the first show of the season. And as of today, Jack, I'm 24 weeks out. Wow. Time flies. Time flies, man. 24 weeks. (laughs) making the most of every single one tell you that yeah excited for you well thanks for listening everyone hope you enjoyed our words of wisdom if you did feel free to leave us a rating or review on spotify or apple podcasts and we'll see you guys next week for episode 196 